Well, good morning, everybody. Turn uh, in a Bible to Isaiah 35, and um, I want to welcome you to the pregame prayer service for the Colts today. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, We're just, big game today, actually, for for Cousin Andrew, so uh, do pray for him to be right on. So, uh, we're in Isaiah 35, and we are... We are in a series of messages that we're, we're calling Christmas Joy, and um, we have been looking at just uh, passages in the book of Isaiah. And uh, you might be thinking, you know, as we kind of prepare for Christmas, well, why the book of Isaiah? Because we don't normally associate, uh, you know, the book of Isaiah with Christmas. And uh, so why? You know, why are we, why are we using uh, these passages? Well, uh, you, you know, this is the time of year where a lot of people are struggling emotionally or just physically or um, just in so many different ways spiritually. And it's a difficult time of the year for a lot of people. And I think it's this time of year where we're reminded that we really live in a fallen, broken world. I mean, I think that comes to the surface more than anything else. I mean, just, I mean, just think about the, the news this week. I mean, there was a, there was a shooting in Whiteland uh, this week. Um, you know, you turn on the news and there's all kinds of, you know, corruption and dysfunction in our government. Uh, So, you know, so it just seems like there's just brokenness all over the world. There's brokenness in our community. Um, You know, a friend, a friend of mine in our, in in our church was diagnosed with cancer this week. And uh, so it's just, the world is just not as it's supposed to be. It just doesn't work right. And we feel the weight of that every day. And so, um, and so there's, then there's those circumstances that many of you are battling right now. And, and uh, so it can just be a difficult time of the year for all of those reasons. But what's interesting about the book of Isaiah is that what Isaiah is doing is he's giving us prophecies related to the birth of the Messiah and also the second coming of the Messiah. And what he's talking about in these prophecies is that this Messiah is going to right every wrong He's going to lift the curse and he's going to, he's going to do a renovation job, you know, in heaven and in earth. And so he's, he's really giving some heavy news to the people of Israel because of their sin and their rejection of God. But what he's also doing is bringing them the joy of the Messiah and saying that, you know what, judgment and hardship and suffering is not the last word. Redemption is the last word. And so I think Isaiah is a perfect book to be looking at during the Christmas season because of its focus on Jesus. So, so I think you'll get a flavor for this as we look at Isaiah 35. And, and I want to read the entire chapter to you. It's just 10 verses. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand together out of respect for the reading of the Word of God today? And so what he's going to do is he's going to give us a reason for Christmas joy, all right? We'll begin at verse one. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak weak hands and make firm the feeble knees Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And, and, and shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. You know, so when we look at a passage of scripture like this, you, you always just come to it and you just kind of pull away for a little bit and you ask, okay, what's the point of the passage? You know, there's several, things, several different things being said there, but you, you want to just kind of pull away. What's the main idea? And I think the main idea of Isaiah 35 is that, you know, he's talking about going home. He's talking about a group of people. Specifically, he's talking about God's people who are going to be returning home. And isn't that what Christmas is all about? Isn't Christmas about coming home when you really think about it? You know, as you think about the Christmas season, you know, I think about, you know, I grew up um, in South Alabama, but I went to school, I went to college in Kentucky, and I love being far away from home. I love that because I, you know, didn't get out uh, much, you know, before uh, the end of high school. And so I love being out. And, uh, but I loved even more returning home for Christmas as a college student. I love that because you got to see all of your high school friends. You know, you got to sleep in your bed. Uh, you got to rest after a busy semester of studying, or in some instances, not studying, you know. Um, you know, you got to do all of those things. You got to eat, you know, your mom's cooking, you know, and, and it was just fun coming home for Christmas. And I think about, you know, families in our church that are military families. And I think about you know, that they have loved ones that they have to say goodbye to. They have a soldier in their family that they have to say goodbye to. And, and that soldier will have to serve weeks or months away from their family. And if you ask the family, what, what's the one thing that you want more than anything else? And that family will say, I just wish my soldier would come home. And if you ask the soldier, what's the one thing they want? They would say, man, I would give anything if I could just come home. And so there's just something about coming home that, you know, all of, our, all of us kind of resonate with. And so, and so what we see is that, that, that going home is almost a primal longing, if you will. I mean, in just about a week, we'll be celebrating Christmas and gathering with our families and all of that. And, and I guarantee you, the interstates will be filled with people, you know, on the move. And airports will be packed and bus stations will be packed. Why? Because people are on the move and they're, they're trying to get home. And so there's just something about home. And Christmas is all about, you know, coming home. Even long before Bing Crosby sang, I'll be home for Christmas. It's, it's, always been, it's always been about that. What is fascinating to me is that scripture is all about God's people coming home. 
from Genesis to Revelation, that's what you see. And the story of Christmas specifically is about our God making a way for us to get home. That's what it's all about. And specifically in Isaiah 35, what Isaiah is doing is he's, you know, he is, he's really brought a message of warning and confrontation to the people of Israel because they have rejected God over and over and over again. And so what he describes is, you know, he's, he's basically describing in the, in the preceding 34 chapters, you know, he's describing just some kind of gloom and doom, some heaviness on them. But what you see is you see that he brings forth the hope as he describes to us this highway that takes God's people home. And so it's almost like an exodus, if you will, what he describes in Isaiah 35. It's almost like uh, an exodus. In fact, the commentators were talking about this is the second exodus. And if you know, your, you know the Old Testament a little bit, you know that the first exodus was you know, God's people in Egypt. You know, when, and you know, when they left the Egyptians and God you know, was leading them to the promised land, that was the first exodus. This exodus that he's talking about here is way more glorious and awesome than that one. Than that one. And so that's what you have going on in this chapter. And I think specifically what he's talking about are just two different realities in chapter 35 that I want to kind of hone in on. And I think those realities are this. What Isaiah describes or what he assumes, what he knows to be true is home has been lost. That's the first thing that we see. And then he's going to describe something else. He's going to describe, and he spends a lot more time on this one, home restored. So I want to talk about home lost and home restored, and then I want to talk about how we can get home today. So let's, let's just look at the first one, home lost. You know, what, what, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is we're homeless. We've lost our home. We've left home, if you will. And we do that when we sin. And that's exactly what's happening with the people of Israel. They have, they have fallen into so much corruption and so much sin as a people, the people of God. So it's not only, you know, the, the leaders of the people of Israel, but it's the people of Israel as well. There's so much corruption and sin in their life. They've left home. They've lost their home. And that's what Isaiah is talking about throughout his book is that, you know, the Assyrians are coming and the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to, they're going to destroy Israel's home and he's going and they're going to send the people of God into exile that's what Isaiah is talking about he's talking about homelessness throughout throughout this book and so you see these themes of exile and homelessness all over scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You, you know, you, you see it, you know, when the people of God are, you know, enslaved to the Egyptians, they're living in what? Exile, aren't they? They're living in exile. And so they're, they're, they're far away from home. And then, and then not only that, but, um, you know, even you know, Bible commentators and scholars say that, you know, that the Jews considered themselves in exile even in the day of Jesus. You know why? Because they were under Roman occupation and rule and they hated it. And it was so much like we're not even home in our home. And so you see this theme of exile and homelessness all over the place. You see it at the very beginning, even in the garden. And, you know, when Adam and Eve, they have God has created for them a perfect home. And he gives them one commandment. And they break that commandment. And what happens to Adam and Eve? 
they're expelled from the garden. They're homeless. And then, and then, you know, right after that, you know, Cain kills his brother. And as a consequence of Cain's murder of his brother, what does God say to Cain? You're going to spend your life wandering homeless. That was the consequence for his sin. And so you see this theme over and over again. You see it even in the teachings of Jesus. You know, just the parable of the prodigal son. I mean, we read that and we think, oh, that's the story of an individual kind of leaving home and rebelling against God. And then God welcomes him in through grace. And and that's that's certainly the case. But it's not just an individual church. It's us. It's the story of humankind is what it is. And that we left home. We lost our home. Home has been lost. And so... That's what it's about. And then you get to the very end, the last two chapters of the entire Bible speak about home, coming home, a new heaven and a new earth. You know, all of creation being transformed into a brand new home. So you see this, see this theme all over scripture. So, so here's the thing. How does home become lost? How do we lose home? How do we, how do we, you know, leave home, we do it through sin. You know, when you and I say, I don't really need God. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to follow his plan. I want to follow my plan. That's sin and that takes us away from home. And so you can do things, you know, as a kid, you know, you know, a kid can make, you know, bad choices so bad they can get kicked out of their own home. You know, a spouse can make awful decisions and, ba- and betray the trust of their, their wife or husband or whatever. And what's the result? They get kicked out of home. And so what sin does is it breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with one another and it makes us homeless. And that's what you see. That's what we've seen from the beginning of time. That's the storyline of scripture. God's people are homeless. And church, it's, it wasn't meant to be that way. God doesn't want you wandering homeless. You know, you, you just think about the impact that, you know, that homelessness has on a person. I mean, we drive around, you know, Indianapolis and you see homeless people, you know, on the street corner and, you know, they're panhandling or whatever. And you know that homelessness is hard on them. It's hard on them physically. It's hard on them emotionally. It's hard, hard on them relationally. It's hard on them in every way. Why? We're not meant to be homeless. And that's just, that's just the truth. And so we were made to walk with God and to know God and to fellowship in his love and his goodness. And when you and I say yes to sin and no to God, we become homeless. You know, I see this in Psalm 27, 4. You know, David, David really puts words to this. And he says, the one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after more than anything else. If I could have anything for Christmas, David says, this is what it would be that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know what he's describing there? I just want to be home. I want to be home with God. I want to be right with God. I want to know the joy of knowing him. I want to know the peace and the fellowship of love that comes from being close with God. That's home. And that's what he's describing. Now, Church, the problem is, is we think we know what home is. And we look for home in so many different places outside of God or away from God. 
And it could be that we look for, you know, we look for home by having more stuff in our life, by having the latest technology, the latest gadgets or the, the newest house or, you know, whatever it is, because we, we kind of buy into this thought that some object, some material thing will bring me home. And it never does. Or we think a girlfriend or some, a boyfriend or some relationship, you know, we, if we just could, you know, just that friendship, you know what I mean? That person in our life will, will meet our needs and bring us home. But the truth is, you know that that person is not good for you. You know that that person is really pulling away, pulling you away from, your, from home, away in your relationship with God. You know, a lot of people try to find home through their children. They want, it, they want their children to be so well-behaved and, and um, you know, they want them to accomplish and achieve and perform and do all of this. And, and it's like the purpose of parenting is to get their kids on a certain level so that the parents can look good. So that the parents can feel like, hey, I'm home. I'm worthy and significant because I've raised great kids. A lot of people look for home through just busyness. You know, just loading up the calendar with stuff and things to do and achieving more and accomplishing more. And we think that we can feel home by just being exhausted and scheduled out. And the problem with these things and so many other homes that we look for away from God is they can't stand the weight of the, of the demands that home really brings on us. They never come through, in other words. And so we just... You know, we just find ourselves chasing it over and over and over again. And it never quite gives us what we promise. You know, a lot of people, when you ask the question, kind of what is home? I've already been kind of alluding to it. We, we, we typically think of home as the physical structure that you live in. You know what I mean? We spend thousands of dollars decorating and redecorating so that we can have a nice home. Uh, but that's the physical structure is really not our home. Really home is walking close with God. That's what home is. And when you think about characteristics of home, the thing that you want to kind of think about is home really should be a place of safety and security, shouldn't it? I mean, that's, that's what home is. It's a place of safety and security. It's, it's the place where you know that people know your flaws and weaknesses and they love you anyway. Because home needs to be a, a place of safety and security. You know, the interesting thing about home is you can walk around in your home all day in your underwear and nobody has a problem with that. You know what I mean? But if you go to Greenwood Park Mall in your underwear, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> Don't try that, please. Yeah, so home should be a place of safety and security. Home should be a place where your needs are met. You know, you have a need for shelter. You have a need for food. Uh, you have a need for a relationship. It should be a place where needs are met. Home should also be a place of rest. You know, where you can, you know, you can sleep at night and you can take a nap during the day. See, some of you are taking a nap here at church. You should really be doing that at home, you know. Um, home should also be a place of joy. And joy is really just delight in the most important relationships of life. Now, here's the interesting thing. As you think about safety and security, as you think about having your needs met, as you think about rest, as you think about joy, who's the one person that can meet all of that criteria for home? Jesus Christ. That's the one person. That's home. And that's what you were made for. And that's what it's all about. The problem is, is sin deceives us and distracts us and leads us away from home. 
and you're not experiencing joy and you're not experiencing, you know, closeness with God because you've compromised into sin. You've said, I want what I want and what I want is first. And that leads you away from home. And the message of Isaiah is come home. Quit messing with that and just come home. That's the message he's preaching. The Messiah has come. You know, he, he was, he's born of a, as a servant, but one day he's coming as king. You need to come home, and you need to come home now because that's, that's the source of joy. You know, uh, Ernest, Ernest Hemingway tells a story about a father and a teenage son. Their relationship had been estranged, and, and, uh, and so the teenage son decided to run away from home. And so uh, in, the, in Hemingway's story, he's, you know, this father is just frantic looking for his teenage son. He can't find him. He's looking everywhere. And finally, the, the father makes the decision. He's going to take an ad out in the newspaper in Madrid. And the, and the ad is just going to say this. Dear Paco, that was the child's name. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Please come home. Well, the next day, Hemingway says, there were 800 Pacos meeting in front of the newspaper office. What were they seeking? They were seeking to be reconciled with their father. They, were, they wanted to come home. And I think there's a longing in every human heart for that. And church, we just need to see that sin is insanity because it leads us away from home. And we need to come to our senses and come home so that God can say, you know what, all can be forgiven I love you, come home. So that's home lost right there. And Isaiah is dealing with that, but he doesn't, he doesn't just deal with home lost. The picture that he paints in Isaiah 35 is home restored. Let me, let me, let me kind of show you what I mean. In this passage, he spends a lot of ink really talking about the fact that there's going to be a complete uh, renewal, a complete and comprehensive renewal of the earth. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Now, church, you guys know I've, I, I've been talking a lot about this because I, I want you to understand the hope that you have. And I want that hope to bring joy in your heart because you know where your Messiah, Jesus, is taking you, right? So let me just show you this. Let's look at, let's look at verses 1 and 2 so you don't take my word for it. You can... You can take God's word for it. Notice what he says. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It's going to blossom abundantly, he says. And it will rejoice with joy and singing. Now, what in the, what in the world is he talking about? He's really, um, he's giving personal characteristics to nature, isn't he? What he's really talking about is the wilderness and the dry land being glad. He's talking about how the desert's going to rejoice and blossom. So what, what's he really talking about? He's talking about the fact that there's going to be a day because of the Messiah, because of who the Messiah is in Jesus, and because of what Jesus does, the Messiah is going to lift the curse that's over creation. Now, you've turned on the weather channel, right? And you know that, um, you know, all of the earth and, and our weather is cursed. I mean, have you noticed that? That's why there is, um, you know, earthquakes and tornadoes and, you know, tsunamis and, and um, you know, hurricanes and all of those things. 
That's why there's cancer. Uh, that's why there's baldness, right? Things aren't working right. You know what I mean? Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, part of the consequence of their sin is the earth became cursed with sin. And what Romans talks about is Paul talks about in Romans how all of creation, the creative order of things, longs to be restored back to its original creation. It longs for the curse of sin to be lifted. It, it yearns and has a desire as if it's a person. And what Isaiah is talking about is that day is coming. There will be a day when this Messiah is born. There will be a day when this Messiah, you know, not only his first coming, but there will be a day when this Messiah comes again. And when he comes again, he's going to lift the curse over all of creation. And the desert will bloom and rejoice. Let me show you what I mean. How, how is that going to happen? Well, look at what it says in verse 2. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Uh, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. In other words, creation will become aware and will receive God's glorious work in it. And it will be so exciting. That's, that's what he's talking about is the new heaven and new earth right there. He's talking about the reason why you and I can have Christmas joy, all right? But, but there's, that's not all there is to it. Go down to verse 5 and let me show you what else he says. He says this, The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, church, what does that remind you of? Who does that remind you of? What did Jesus do? For three years in his ministry, he healed the blind. He made the lame walk, didn't he? Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is not just, you know, I'm Jesus and I came so that you can have an easy and comfortable life. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is not, my name is Jesus and I come to just save you. The gospel of the kingdom is this. I'm Jesus and I'm coming to save everything. And I'm coming to lift the curse and to restore home. And so I don't know if you remember the story, but there was a day when um, John the Baptist and some of his disciples were kind of confused if Jesus was the Messiah. So some of John's disciples went to go see the Messiah. Jesus, they went to go see him and they asked him, are you really the Messiah? And you know what Jesus' response was? Jesus' response was, you tell John that the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame leap for joy. That's what he told him. You know what he was referring to? Isaiah 35. And John had a clue right then. We're dealing with the Messiah because he knew that that was the work of the Messiah. The Messiah would bring restoration of home. Home's going to be remade. Home's going to be renewed in a new heaven and new earth. And there's going to be no more tears, no more dying, no more death, no more disease. It will all be made new. Does that make sense? Okay, that's where he's taking us. Now, here is the kicker of it all. Here is the amazing thing. 
in this restoration project, we're not just to sit back passively and kind of watch, you know, just put our feet up on the coffee table and just sip lemonade and watch Jesus do his thing. No, really what we see from Isaiah 30, 35 is you and I have a part to play in the restoration project. So God in his divine humility invites us in to share in the work of the restoration of all things. You don't believe me? All right, go back. Let's look at it. Look at verse three. Notice what Isaiah says to the people. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, raise your hand if you know somebody who has an anxious heart. Just raise your hand. Let me see. Yeah. You know, how many, do you know people that have weak knees and, you know, feeble hands? Yeah, we all know people like that. Us, right? All right, what does he say do? We need to strengthen them. We need to make firm. We need to say to them what? We need to say to them this. He says this, be strong and fear not. Why? What's the source of our strength? What's the source of our confidence? Well, he tells us, look at what he says. Verse four, behold, your God will come. What he's talking about is the second coming of Jesus. He is, he is prophesying that there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back and he's going to lift the curse and he's going to right every wrong and he's going to wipe every tear. That's why you and I can be confident. That's why you and I can be strong when we feel weak. And so our job, church, is to get the message out. That's what Isaiah is saying, that we actually have a role to play in creating and restoring home by sharing the message, not only of the first coming of Jesus, but the second coming. To give people hope, to give people encouragement, to give people the good news of God's grace. You and I share in that. You and I have a calling for that. Your life, church, is a mission. It's not just come in here and sit and soak and then leave and, you know, feel good about yourself and then you're, you're good for doing whatever you want to do. No, you have a mission. And that mission is to, to tell people of the new heaven and new earth that, that we get. So, so every time you share your story of how Jesus has worked in your life, every time you invite someone to church, every time you serve in children's ministry, you know, or serve on Mission Hill, you are making the desert bloom every time you do it. It's just you can't see it in front of your eyes, but you will. You will. We get one step closer every time we do it. We get to participate in the restoration project. Look at Leslie Newbigin was a Scottish missionary to India, and um, God just worked through him. And he, this is what he writes. This is a great message for our church. He says, do you know what Advent means? It means that something radically new has come to meet us, to break into our world and to turn everything upside down. The task of the church, that's us. The task of the leader of the church is to make this other world credible. What other world? Isaiah 35 world that he's talking about here. To make it possible for men to believe that this world as it is, full of sin and sorrow and sadness, is not the last word. This is not the final word here. It's heavy and it's hard and it's difficult and it, you know, it weighs us down, but it's not the last word. What we need to do is to keep constantly alight in men's hearts, the flame of hope and faith in the possibility of a different kind of world that he speaks of in Isaiah 35. The only question is, do you believe this? That's the only question. 
That was the question for the people that Isaiah spoke it to originally. And it's the question for us, you know, 25, 2700 years later. And so I think the church has to come to a place. I think we have to come to a place where we realize that church is not about us. It's not about my favorite seat and my favorite parking place and having a place where I can bring my family on Christmas Eve. Really church is all about for the people that aren't even here yet. That's what it's about. That's why we do mom's crossing. That's why we do healing on the hill. That's why we do D groups and classes. That's why we take mission teams to El Salvador and Shadrach. Why? We want to see the desert bloom. We want to see streams flowing in the desert. And we want to speed his coming. And so that's, that's your life, church. A church is a mission. Your life is a mission. The only question is, are you on mission? That's the only question. And if you're not, maybe you should be. All right, so here's the last question or the last thing I just want to cover is this. How do we get home? If, if, if the entire Bible is about getting home, how do we get home? Well, he tells us in Isaiah 35, look at verse eight. He says this, and a highway shall be there. I doubt it's I-69, but you know, that's, that is what it is. All right, so a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Church, we got a problem because we're unclean. We can't pass over it. Well, there is a way. Skip down to verse nine. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Now, there are two really big words there that I want to just explain. It'll help make a little bit of sense of this. There are the words ransom and then the word redeemed. Two words. They're very similar, but there's a, there's a slight difference. You know, ransomed is when you pay, a, you know, when you give something of value, you pay money to set a captive free. That's kind of the idea or the concept of ransom. So, you know, a bad guy's, you know, kidnap someone and they say, you know, I'm not going to let this person loose. I'm not going to let them go free until I receive something in return. And, you, and that something in return is ransom. So there's a sense in which we've been ransomed. But he also talks about the redeemed. And the concept of redeemed is a little bit different in that um, when you were living in the Old Testament, and let's say um, you racked up some big credit card debt back then and you couldn't, get at, you couldn't pay it. I mean, you got in with the sharks, you got in over your head, you, you can't get out. Or you just broke the law. And now you owe a debt to society that you can't really pay. The concept in the Old Testament was the concept of a kinsman redeemer. And that meant that one of your family members would step into your place and pay your debt and pay the fine. They would assume kind of the responsibility of making the debt right. Do you know who your kinsman redeemer is? Jesus Christ. Because what he did is he stepped into your place as if he were the one who created the debt as if he were the one who broke the law and he paid it for us. Now, how did he do that? By becoming homeless. 
He left home is what he did. And the Bible tells us that he left the glory of heaven, the glory of his throne. The, cre the creator became the created one. And he entered into this world. And where was he born? He wasn't born at home. He was born on a highway. He was homeless. And they tried to find a place where, you know, as Mary and Joseph were going down to Bethlehem, they were paying this tax. She goes into labor. They were trying to find a place where she could deliver Jesus. Nobody would take him. They were homeless. And then, you know, Jesus comes and, you know, they, they give birth in a cattle trough, you know, the whole rest of the story. And, and, so, and so then King Herod, who's kind of the governor over, over Israel, over the, uh, you know, the region of Israel, he's a, he's a megalomaniac. The guy's so insecure, he hears that a king now has been born. So what does he have to do? He kills thousands of infant baby boys because he's threatened by the birth of an infant. And then what do Mary and Joseph do? They have to flee to Egypt, homeless. They didn't have a condo in Cairo. They were homeless. And so Jesus became homeless for, for you and for me. And so Christmas is the story of homeless. Jesus said, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has what? Has no place to lay his head. He's homeless. He became homeless for me and for you. Why? To bring us home. He took our place to bring us home. You know, one of the things that the Jews would do um, in the Old Testament is they would take a goat and the high priest would lay his hands symbolically on the goat and he would confess the sins of the people of Israel as he had his hands on this goat. And they would take the goat and they released the goat out of the city, out of the city gates and into the wilderness. Do you know what happened to that goat? That goat would get would get shredded and destroyed by wild animals out in the wilderness. Jesus Christ left home to become our scapegoat where he was shredded by wild animals on a Roman cross. Why? To bring us home. That's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? And you know, you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you're like, Scott, what do I need to do? You need to come home. What are you waiting on? And you're like, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, admitting you need a savior, admitting that you've sinned, that you have broken you know, God's law, that you've fallen short. And then secondly, really just believing the good news of God's grace that, that Jesus is your kinsman redeemer, that he paid your penalty. And then you just commit your life to Christ. You begin to follow him. You say no to sin. You say no to your own will. And you say yes to the will of God. And you begin following him and pursuing him. That's what it means to come home. And as a result of that, you know joy and peace and love of the fellowship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, who came for you on that first Christmas. And that is Christmas joy. And what that means is, yes, you're going through difficult circumstances. Yes, it's really hard. I get that. I understand that. But understand this, that, that, that basically that, that all of the bad things in your life can't ultimately hurt you. And all of the really good things in your life can't be taken away. And, and according to Isaiah 35, the best is yet to come. That's why we have joy at Christmas. Now, maybe you're a Christian and you're like feeling distant from God. What do you need to do? 
Well, you just confess that you've been looking for home in all the wrong places and repent and receive God's grace. You know, Christians have to confess and repent every day. That's what it means to be a Christian. Every day, confess and repent. You get back on the highway where the ransomed and the redeemed walk. I want to encourage you to take that step today. Let's pray. I want to just give you a moment to pray, to respond to how God is speaking to you right now. Just just reflecting on whatever circumstances you're in. And, you know, I really can't change your circumstances, but, but I can sure point you to joy. So would you, just, would you just take a step today? Would you, maybe there's something you need to confess, confess it to God. Maybe there's something you need to repent of, repent. Maybe there's an area in your life where you need to trust God. Just just deal with it, whatever it is. He loves you. He's here with you. There's no better place than to be home. So God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, your mercy, for the joy of knowing you, the joy of walking with you. Thank you uh, for the future that you have for us. Uh, Plans to give us hope. And we thank you for that. We've lived in exile long enough. We just wanna be home with you. So God, thank you for making a way. Thank you that that's what Christmas is all about. The way, the way home. So may we be a people filled with joy and filled with love. May we be a people that are busy about the restoration project that you've got in progress. Lord, we long for the day when it's completed. We we can't wait to see it with our eyes. That day is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. We thank you and all of God's people said.